Hello, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. We've been away for a few weeks, but we're back with a vengeance to talk about everything going on in the world of advertising, marketing, and media, and uh, a little bit more besides. My name's Simon Gwynn, and as of this month, I'm Campaign's technology and gaming editor. It's a very exciting new role for me on our team, uh, one of several new roles, in fact. And with a bit of luck, in the weeks to come, you'll be hearing from some of the brilliant journalists who've joined us recently. One of them, in fact, is with us today. Now, if you haven't been following the metaverse madness of the last couple of years, and you're wondering why an Earth campaign has somebody on its editorial team with gaming in their job title, uh, I'd encourage you to sign up for our mobile gaming summit next week. That's taking place online next Wednesday, the 22nd of September. Uh, I'll be hosting, so um, prepare yourself for that. Uh, and we have a fantastic lineup of speakers from all across the industry who will be sharing loads of brilliant, valuable insights into why mobile gaming is somewhere that your brand needs to be and how to get the most from it. So, without further ado, let me introduce my guest this week. Uh, first up, I'm delighted to introduce Arvind Hickman, who joined Campaign in August as our new media editor. Arvind, how on earth are you? Good, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah. Um, how's it been going so far since you joined Campaign? It's been pretty chaotic, to be honest. I was here for two weeks, and then I went to, on holiday to Scotland um, for a couple of weeks, and I've come back to a bit of a storm, but it's been really good. I mean, um, just to give our listeners a bit of background, before I was the news editor of PR Week, I was working at Ad News in Australia in a very similar role, covering pretty much the same beat. Um, so the media um, patch worked really well for me, and I'm very excited to get my teeth stuck into it. Great. Yeah. So let me ask you briefly about your holiday to Scotland. Um, from what I picked up, that seems to have been somewhat defined by uh, quite a quite a singular mission. So um, what, what was the elusive object that you were trying to track down? <laughs> a, a fried Mars bar. I mean, this is something I've, I've been trying to track down for a very long period of time. It, it wasn't just this trip. The last time I went to Scotland, I was also hunting them down. With, with no success. Um, and I managed to find one at the very end of my trip, just before me and my son had to catch a flight back to London. Uh, and um, how was it? Was it everything you dreamed of? It was probably slightly better than I expected, if I'm being honest. I mean, we had ours with a bit of ice cream, which probably helped because everything with ice cream is infinitely better. But actually, it was quite nice. I, I can definitely see why it, it was a big thing. Yeah, I agree. Having had a single deep fried Mars bar at some point in the distant past, um, they are definitely better than, than they sound. Um, okay, so uh, our other guest today, uh, returning to the campaign podcast, it's our authority on all things brand experience and unofficial nightlife correspondent, Fayola <laughs> Douglas. Uh, Faye, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for that intro. <laughs> That's okay. That's just the reality of the situation. <laughs> um, so um, so from what I've picked up in, in our recent chats, uh, you've been uh, recently uh, getting back out and about like nobody's business. Um, so what kind of things have you been up to recently? Yeah, I've been trying to get back to business as usual, although things do feel slightly different still. But I've been going to restaurants, going to cinema and of course going to brand events. Um, so last night I actually went to an event that was run by Klarna. It was more for like the the marketing side of things the marketing team and they were introducing their new campaign which is old credit is history but it was really good to hear that Klarna are going to be hosting a pop-up next week so they're still looking to invest in experiential and and I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like. 
Brilliant. And that uh, that event last night was in the Natural History Museum, right? Yes, it was an incredible setting, actually. And we were underneath uh, the whale in kind of the main the main room there. And we had a meal and heard a bit more about the history of money. And of course, Klarna are marketing themselves as the future of money. So we'll we'll see how that campaign goes down. Sorry, can I just ask you a question? When, when you're sitting under that massive whale, are you constantly thinking in the back of your head, what if this thing falls on me? <laughs> no, I was actually thinking this is like a once in a lifetime experience. I couldn't wait to go there and to be in that room after, I guess, so long of so long just kind of sitting in your own house. It's really amazing to be in these kind of quite surreal settings. So I really enjoyed it. Wonderful fearless journalism. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was at a wedding uh, last weekend in, in uh, central London and um, it was absolutely phenomenal to just be hanging around with a load of people uh, pretending that uh, COVID has completely and utterly gone away and uh, and having a great old time. Um, so uh, now there's been a, a veritable deluge of new campaigns in recent weeks and later on in the episode we're going to be taking a look at some of the big ones. Uh, but first, let's talk about what's been going on in the news. Um, so first up, the possible privatisation of Channel 4. Now, this has been discussed time and time again uh, over the years. But earlier this year, Boris Johnson's government uh, made clear that this was something that they wanted to go ahead with. And uh, the consultation on this move closed earlier this week. Arvind, can you tell us a bit about what's been happening and uh, what people have been saying about this? Sure. Well, I I guess the first thing I would say is that Campaign has been running a campaign about this. Um, Basically, we are very much opposed to privatisation. And the reasons why is because Channel 4 plays a very unique position um, in the broadcast industry. It doesn't have any pressure from shareholders or parent companies. It provides a diverse range of programming that reaches young audiences and advertisers. Um, So we actually think privatisation threatens that. It could derail it. But some of the key people that we've spoken to have also um, opposed this. Annette King from Publicist Group um, said she fears that Channel 4 moving from public ownership to privatisation could be irreversible. And she noted how attractive um, the diverse range of audiences and programming is to a lot of advertisers. Richard Morris, the chief executive at IPG Media Brands, said it's hugely important for the UK's independent production ecosystem and the wider UK creative economy. Um, Lots of small to medium-sized companies that Channel 4 commissions would suffer if it no longer had its remit and was privately controlled. Um, You know, James Murphy, um, founder of New Commercial Arts, I, I guess he kind of hits the nail on the head. He said most people would be opposed to this unless, of course, you're a government that sees them as a bastion of liberal media criticism. I haven't really spoken to, I've written a few articles about this, I haven't spoken to anybody in the industry who's in favour of privatisation. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Channel 4 isn't costing the taxpayer anything. It's self-sufficient. It provides programming that a lot of other broadcasters simply wouldn't commission. It, it really reaches a very large percentage of young people in the UK, and advertisers love that. It, it allows them to go in, into a broadcasting platform and advertise messaging to younger, to younger audiences they can't get anywhere else. It actually makes no sense when you think about it rationally. Mm, yeah, I think um, 
the uh, the observation that you mentioned there from um, from James Murphy is interesting. Um, we can't read the minds of, of Boris Johnson and his um, former culture secretary uh, Oliver Dowden as of this week, and his replacement Nadine Dorries. Uh, very interesting uh, choice there for for that role as the DCMS secretary. But certainly the the argument that this is about protecting public finances seems a little dubious because the the amount that the sale would raise is only going to make a you know barely make a dent really in um, in the uh, the UK uh, debt and, and deficit. We should also mention that campaign has led. Uh, an open letter from the industry this week that a whole uh, load of, of leaders, including uh, some of the people you've mentioned, to put their name to. That was something that our UK editor, Maisie McCabe, um, organised, um, and that's been uh, sent to um, to Boris Johnson and uh, to the um, DCMS department, I suppose. It's the best way to think of it at the moment, given the change they've had. But, Faye, let, let me come to you. Um, so Arvind, of course, uh, mentioned that some of the the, uh, the things that are great about Channel 4, and, and um, we can think about them from both a business perspective and just as a product that we, we kind of all enjoy and appreciate. Uh, they, they did a really interesting thing last Friday called um, Black to Front. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what that involved? Yes, so Black to Front was a day of programming that was going to make sure that black people were more visible on screen, but also behind the scenes. So they were producing the programmes, they were the directors of the programmes and they they worked about the schedule in quite an interesting way. So there were some reruns of programmes that people will be familiar with, like Desmond's, and then there were some some programmes like Come Dine With Me and Gogglebox that they did celebrity editions of the show where they employed black talent to be on the show, so solely black talent. And, of course, this also was present within the advertising schedule as well so there were ads that were specially made to be kind of part of this this day and they all featured black talent as well yeah um i mean i mean one interesting show that they that that started last friday as part of black to front was this thing high life which is an example of something else Channel 4 has been doing really well, which is brand uh, partnerships, brand and entertainment. Um, they've actually produced this in um, in association with Google Pixel. They've uh, launched another one, uh, announced another one rather, this this week, working with uh, uh, Oculus, Facebook's VR product, which is going to bring back uh, Games Master. High Life, for those who, who didn't hear about it, um, seems like a bit of a kind of... Made in Chelsea uh, type show, um, very much focusing on people who uh, value the finer things in life, uh, the good, the good living. But it's all focused on the the West African community, which uh, is definitely um, a group that I think's probably been underrepresented in in uh, in reality shows over the years. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that there's been some people that have questioned the legacy from from this day. But kind of as you said, with programs like the High Life, that's going to be continuing on, so that will leave a legacy. And my my friend and former um former colleague actually from London Live, he was a director of the news programme on um Black to Front Day on Channel Four. So his name's Malachi Bernard and he he was really passionate about being able to be involved in it and he actually said that it was an honour for him to be a director and um he was saying that for him the legacy of Black to Front is the fact that like young black boys and girls were able to not only see themselves on screen but know that they're reflected behind the scenes and that they have opportunities to work in a diverse industry and I, I think that's really important because we like growing up you would often see kind of black celebrities as being the entertainer but it's good to know that there are opportunities behind the screen as well so I think there definitely will be a legacy left from that day. 
Yeah, it's really good to hear uh, that you you know someone who's personally benefited from this because the, the scheme did come in for a little bit of criticism as possibly being uh, tokenistic and some of the, the programming choices. It is also worth bearing uh, pointing out that as well as the whole day of programming being, um, I think, in- entirely um, focused on uh, black on on screen talent, as well as as Fail has said, uh, the behind the, the uh, camera a- aspect, Channel Four also gave over its entire. Uh, advertising for the day to campaigns that either had a a black lead performer or a majority black cast, um, which was another really interesting component. Arvind, the ad industry, uh, along uh, with Campaigns Help, has has made it pretty clear what it thinks about privatisation, as has the TV industry. There's also been a fair bit of opposition, I think, from even Conservative MPs. doesn't seem like there's many people who really support this, but do you think it's going to go ahead anyway? If they look at it, Um, purely evidence-based and what I believe the majority of people will say in the public consultation, then no, I don't don't see a compelling business case. Um, If this is purely an ideological drive within, you know, very influential people within the the Johnson government, then maybe. But if it goes ahead, it's not going ahead for any legitimate reason. It's going ahead purely because they have some sort of opposition to public sector broadcasting and they just want to do it irrespective of, of how it may harm or hinder the, the industries that, that it, it currently impacts. Mm. Well, let's hope they, they listen to sense on this one and listen to the overwhelming uh, voice of um, the advertising industry. So Channel 4, of course, is not the only broadcaster that's been all over the news recently. Uh, there's also been a pretty big development in the last week at a certain young and hungry news startup. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's called GB News. Arvind, can you uh, fill us in on what's happened over there? Yeah, well, the first thing I have to say about GB News is it's not really a news channel, is it? I mean, it's pretty much debating issues and it's become very much a vehicle for the whole culture wars thing. But basically, in the past week, Andrew Neil, um, their presenter and chairman, and really the figurehead um, when, when GB News launched, has um, officially quit. He's obviously not been you know, doing his show for a while now. Um, I think about eight episodes, he decided he wanted to take a bit of a pause. And it's now official that he's not going to do it anymore. I think he's still going to appear on Nigel Farage's show a couple of times a week, but that's about it. This is a major blow for GB News, uh, aside from the fact that they're losing what most people would say is probably their most credible you know, broadcast presenter. It's basically just another sign of, you know, this channel... I can't, I can't forget what failing, collapsing, I, I don't know, like it, it goes from one controversy to the next um, in throughout its whole existence, whether it's production issues, whether it's um, sacking a presenter because he took the knee on live air, uh, whatever it may be. Um, more recently, it seems that GB News has been hiring people like Nigel Farage, you know, real culture warriors, um, and some industry insiders believe it is heading down the road of Fox News in the US, the very controversial news channel. That, 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 that you know, is very divisive. Now, I've been speaking to our media buyers about this this week. They actually believe Andrew Neil's departure is a massive blow. Um, it really undermines the viability. But above and beyond that, they, I actually don't think advertisers are going to be too bothered because not many advertisers want to be on the channel in the first place. Um, it's really struggling to attract advertisers, most of them behind the scenes, telling their media buyers that they do not want to be on, on the channel. So it's it's already struggling trying to attract commercial revenue. You know, it's an ad funded TV station and it's struggling to attract advertisers. So its viability is already under threat. But when you have people like Andrew Neil leaving, it sort of unravels, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, you know, some of them are basically saying they don't believe that, that it can be revived and, and that its future looks very bleak. 
I think it's a real shame, uh, GB News personally, because um, I remember a few months ago listening to Andrew Neil being interviewed by Amol Rajan on the, the BBC's media show. Um, that's available on, on their podcast if anyone wants to go back and have a listen to that. And the way that he sold it, he was aiming to dismiss people's fears about uh, what GB News was, was going to be. And I thought, you know, if it lives up to what he's promising, it could actually be quite an interesting contribution to the media landscape. Maybe it will create a space for some alternative views that aren't often heard or to, at least to discuss them in, in a different way. But they, uh, they, it very much seems to have turned into everything that um, that he said it wasn't going to be. And, and maybe that, that, that's a reason why he's decided to, to pull stumps, basically, and, and leave, because it's probably not living up to the vision that he himself thought it would, it would live up to. Faye, have you uh, given GB News a watch at all? I've given GB News a wide berth. Um, <laughs> as someone who used to work in TV news previously, of course, TV news is meant to be impartial because it kind of falls underneath kind of the Ofcom guidelines. But I think one of the main issues surrounding GB news is its kind of presence on social media and and um, how it's being perceived by certain groups and how it's kind of being used as a rallying cry for certain groups. And I would kind of just say that it doesn't make sense that GB news is kind of the focus of the news more than it's actually reporting the news so yeah we'll just wait and see what happens with with them really Mm, some interesting months ahead for them um, or, or maybe it'll only be weeks or maybe it will be many many happy decades um we we just don't know yet um uh, of course there is more to life than than uh, tv um Faye, uh, London Fashion Week is getting underway from uh, today. We're recording on Thursday. Um, it's a, a really interesting moment in time for live events. Um, uh, a, a lot of us are thinking, hoping, pretending that, that COVID's completely gone away, um, but we're probably not quite out of the woods yet. Events like this have been transformed pretty significantly over the last two years. So what's happening at London Fashion Week this time? So this time around, London Fashion Week, that's running until the 21st of September, it's very much a hybrid event. So they've got kind of a schedule of digital and physical activations. So that ranges from kind of digital fashion shows that you just watch online. And there there are actually only 28 kind of traditional style catwalk shows that, you know, people would have been used to um, seeing back in the day. But they have a digital platform that they actually launched in June 2020, kind of a, alongside us not being able to go and do anything physically. And I think one of the great successes around this is that you don't need a login, you don't need a password. So kind of the British Fashion Council are really pushing the fact that this is just democratising Fashion Week and meaning that if you are someone that's just got a small interest in fashion or you are a fashion student, you don't have to try and queue up to get the last seat at a fashion show. You can just log on and be really involved. And I think this has really worked for them. And they've they've got lots going on this week. So they also have a citywide celebration. So lots of different brands within their kind of main stores in central London. They can be running events. So that can range from offers so you can get discounts on clothing to small shows to giveaways and yeah lots going on really great um so would you say that this um what you've been talking about that the change of approach that's a kind of a uh, long-term change in philosophy in in the fashion world that that kind of kicked off before covid 
Yes, well, I have actually spoken to the British Fashion Council and they were saying that this is something they're going to look to continue to invest in in the long term because with also with the issue of sustainability they're thinking about that a lot and people flying from city to city to each different fashion week isn't necessarily the way that they want to continue so being able to have a digital schedule and have things being online and it just embraces the fact that we're like fashion is so much more of a global entity and so it makes things much more accessible to everybody and on the issue of sustainability actually of of course with London Fashion Week it isn't just the scheduled shows that people go to see like on the traditional schedule there's also quite a lot of offshoot events and Ocean Outdoor have actually partnered with um, a designer well two designers who go by the name Vin and Omi and they're hosting a show that's all about sustainability so they've taken some of Team GP's um upcycled uh, olympic apparel is going to be on show and it's kind of just all about that that issue of upcycling um their advertising and the vinyls as well so they're putting together quite a conceptual art show really sustainability in fashion is is a fascinating area at the moment um lots of really interesting stuff happening arvind uh, for the benefit of listeners you're wearing a very fetching uh, red and gray uh, t-shirt at the moment uh, are you going to be p- paying close attention to what's happening in fashion week i'm glad that you pointed out my t-shirt um by virtue of the fact that i'm wearing a red and gray super dry t-shirt that cost me 30 pounds I think you've just got your answer, mate. Um, I, I'm probably the least fashionable person you'll ever meet. I honestly don't have a clue about it. Um, I actually had to Google what Met Gala was this week because so many people were tweeting about it. But what I will say is that I am glad that London Fashion Week is happening as a live event. Um, there's some really innovative stuff where people are able to use their phones, they're going on TikTok, they're able to experience it from the comfort of their homes. And, and it's really interesting to see how the events industry in general opens up and how it uses new technology um, to enhance the experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to be all, you know, queuing up to get into a a room as such. So I I think it's really interesting what's happening around London Fashion Week and how brands are are executing around it. That's what I think is interesting. In terms of, you know, what people are wearing and and the runway stuff, you know, my fashion knowledge pretty much starts and ends at Zoolander. it's a very, very good place to uh, to start. That that Hansel, he's so hot right now. <laughs> that is his name, right? Are you serious? Yeah, Hansel, right, Hansel, yeah. Yeah. Hansel. <laughs> There's plenty of other stories we could be talking about, but podcast time is notoriously precious, so we're going to move on to looking at some creative work. So first up, it's the debut campaign for Asda from Havas London, uh, who won the account earlier this year, uh, taking over from AMV BBDO. So this new film features Asda staff and shoppers performing uh, somersaults of joy that challenge the laws of physics and also introduces a new strapline, although it's not a million miles away from the previous one, to be honest. This was created by Dan Cole and Andy Garnett and directed by uh, Conquerco through Academy Films, and the media agency is Spark Foundry. Why step into autumn when you can jump in? Faye, what do you reckon to this? I'd have to say I did like I did like the ad. I felt like it was fun, but I agree with what you said about the fact that like 
we're saying that they've put the tagline that's as the price out to pasture but that's just really stuck in my head and i know the new tagline it's get the asda price feeling so somewhat similar but i i think that when i see asda i still have that association so maybe a few more ads with this new tagline are needed to really get it drummed into my head yeah i think you might be right about that uh, arvind uh, watching this did it fill you with uh, joy at the thought of shopping in asda Look, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, mate. I was hoping you'd come to this ad at the very end so it wouldn't sound like this sort of negative Nancy, but this ad really irritates me. I mean, look, I'm not the target <laughs> audience, okay? And my experiences for shopping at Asda is how quickly I can bounce out of there because I, I genuinely dislike the store. Um, but in saying that, you know, it's, it's got a very catchy sort of song. Um, I can understand that it's probably going to be quite effective. Um, it just wasn't for me. Well, I think that's a, a reasonable point of view. A um, couple of things I'd, I'd say in um, the defence of, uh, of Havas. Um, I, I think I, I kind of agree with your assessment to some extent, Arvind. Uh, Asda has jumped around between creative agencies no end over the years. I think they've, they've moved roughly every uh, three years. Um, and they haven't necessarily been a brand that's uh, embraced really interesting creative ideas. Um, I think their advertising has probably lagged behind that of uh, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Aldi, some of the other supermarkets, maybe most of the other supermarkets. Um, and uh, when I used to live near a big Asda in Clapham Junction, uh, I also had a pretty poor experience of shopping there. So I think that the brand has some challenges, but uh, I'm sure this is just the start. I, I'm, there's some talented people at Havas and they'll be taking this on and, uh, and uh, maybe uh, we're, we're about to see a whole new era for Asda, which is, of course, under new ownership as of last year, I think. Can I can I just add on, on the Asda ad that... Through the pandemic, I think that supermarkets did provide like a little bit of an escape for a lot of people. It was the only thing you could do. So when I watched the ad, I just felt like it it captured that, you know, the there was a joy associated with being at the supermarket at one point. And, and I think that shows in the ad. Yeah, Faye, just as Simon alluded to, uh, visit Asda in Clapham Junction and <laughs> and see what joy you get. I mean, I, I'm probably going to hazard a guess, but I think a lot of people probably take their chances with COVID over that experience. <laughs> uh, I think that's a little harsh. I mean, um, it's it's a huge shop. Um, it uh, has a very wide range of products and Asda do offer very good prices, possibly better than than most of their competition. Uh, so it's it's always a mixed bag when you choose where to shop. Um, you know, they have some some benefits over M and S and and some areas where they they uh, perhaps uh, lag. Um, but let's move on to the next one. Um, so um, apparently, since our last episode of the campaign podcast, there've been some sports events taking place in in Japan. Is that right? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Of course, I um, uh, I do know what the Olympics and Paralympics are. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Olympics head, but uh, I always get a lot of enjoyment out of the number of athletes who um, have a huge uh, smile on their face, uh, fulfilling their dreams, and sometimes just turning on the TV and watching one of the the weird sports and deciding whether you're going to support, you know, Sweden or Paraguay. But uh, there's been some great creative work uh, around uh, both tournaments from both brands and media owners. Um, and one ca campaign I wanted to pick up on is for the International Paralympics Committee. It's by Adam and Eve DDB and it's called Hashtag We The 15. You push us all to do better. You are superheroes. Really? Yeah, we're superheroes, all right. We're getting the kids out the door on time. We push strollers. Io sono il passeggino. 
be grateful. But there's nothing special about us. We have mortgages. Can house plants. Watch reality TV. Pretend we're watching reality TV. The overall campaign uh, here was uh, two creative teams from Adam and Eve DDB, uh, Edward Usher and Xander Hart, and Selma Ahmed and Genevieve Granson. Uh, the film was directed by Sam Pilling through Pulse, and the media agency is Omnicom Media Group. Faye, what did you reckon to this campaign? I really liked the campaign. It was actually our pick for the week, wasn't it? This um, the IPC ad. I think that we're obviously when you think of um the paralympics like the channel four ads like being superhuman that always comes to mind and this kind of played on that concept by kind of showcasing the fact that the paralympians they're not trying to be superheroes and they just want to be seen as ordinary people so they had that hashtag we are the 15 which alluded to the fact that 15% of the world's population are disabled. And so that wasn't something that I personally knew before. So that message really kind of got like got across well to me and I really enjoyed it. And it did encourage me to watch the Paralympics, but also just be more more aware of, I guess, that that figure, really, that 15% of the population are disabled and, and so these people need to be taken notice of and and in all walks of life, in all parts of society, not just the ones that are athletes and competing. Definitely. Um, I think one of, one of the great things about this uh, this, this film, um, and uh, we should say that the, the campaign's quite multifaceted. It also involved lighting up a whole load of landmarks around the world in purple, which is uh, usually um, a symbol of, of disability, just to make people more aware of of the fact that uh, disabled people are a massive share of of the human race you know across the across the world um but i love this film because i think it was brilliantly cast it's got some great uh, characters in who give these wonderful performances and it's so funny and um and interesting and one of the things that struck me is that uh, it's really rare for ads to um to provide leading roles for for characters like this um uh, and unless it's a story that is particularly focused on disability we just don't see um, enough incorporation of disabled people uh, actors and characters into kind of ordinary uh, storylines there's a few notable examples but that's something that i really hope this campaign triggers off a, a change in arvin do you, do you have any other thoughts I didn't just like this campaign. I absolutely loved it. Seriously, it is incredible. It's fun. It's funny. It normalizes the experiences of people with disabilities. And I actually thought, you know, it's really interesting that the IPC were behind this. Um, I just thought it was almost a bit of an antidote to the Paralympics. When you watch the Paralympics, you're watching some of the most inspirational people on the planet, right? They do absolutely incredible things. But what this actually did is it actually just showed, you know, these people are just everyday people. They make the same you know, mistakes that we all do. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I, I just thought the message was really powerful. It was simple. And it was a really important message to go side by side with, with the power of the Paralympics. So yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I think it's interesting that with um, Channel 4's ad campaign for their Paralympics coverage this year, they shifted the focus a little bit and did very much talk about Paralympic athletes as these extraordinary people who you know who aren't they subverted the idea of uh, of having something wrong with you you know and I'm doing air quotes there when I say that um, and uh, and and that's a valid message um, uh, but but this offers something completely different so uh, we all like that one then uh, good to uh, good to know and last but not least we've got a really interesting new ad for the Royal Navy uh, from Engine Creative called Raj's Story which features a real life lieutenant called Raj uh, who's a Sikh 
talking about the uh, the challenges he's faced reconciling his identity with his career. This one was created by Chris DeRosa and Hugo Isaacs and directed by Sasha Nathwani through Familia. And the media agency is Manning Gottlieb OMD. Looks delicious, Bobby. Raj, get a plan, Skeena. I've actually applied to join the Royal Navy. Raj, this is not what we do. I'll start off by just saying I think this was kind of very cinematic, very beautiful. I actually watched it kind of several times, kind of trying to pick up on the different nuances of the different parts of Raj's life, kind of as he kind of reflected back. And I I really enjoyed the ad. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the execution was absolutely brilliant. And as someone with Sikh heritage, um, I, I also really related to some of the, the cultural messaging um, and challenges that Raj faced um, explaining something like, you know, being the armed forces to his parents. Uh, you know, that, that that was really interesting. The only slight thing, I wouldn't say it's a gripe, but the, the thing I, I just wanted to pick up, which I wasn't quite sure was on point, was the tagline, you know, um, I was made in the Royal Navy. I'm not entirely sure that certain cultures would define themselves through those, those sorts of almost sort of macho type lens, if you, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I think uh, I had a slightly mixed assessment of this. I agree with uh, with what you're saying there, um, Arvin, but um, I do think it's it's brilliant that they've chosen to tell this story. This was one of the runners-up in Channel 4's Diversity in uh, Advertising Award. And if I rem- remember correctly, the... The winner of that award this year uh, was um, Adam and Eve, DDB and EA Sports. And that was for the, the campaign they did around FIFA and incorporating the uh, Midnight Ramadan League in, into that game. And that was uh, that's an interesting comparison to this because that was tackling the underrepresentation of, of Muslims. You'll have a better perception of this than me, Arvin, but I think Sikhs are another group that we probably don't see represented in advertising particularly often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot that I liked about it, um, I, you know, it's a brilliant ad. It's a beautiful story. It's really well crafted, really well told. Just not sure about the tagline, but you know, I think it. I think it's 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 a very effective ad. Um, I, I think a lot of people will look at it and be inspired, and it probably will achieve what it, what it sets out to do. Well, that seems as good a note as any to uh, end on. That's just about all we have time for this week. Huge thank you to Arvind and Fayola for joining me today. And as I said earlier, you ought to be hearing a glorious array of uh, new voices from the campaign team over the coming weeks. And we'll, of course, continue to bring you interviews and discussions with some of the best industry talent around, from agency CEOs to those just starting out. Before we go, I can exclusively reveal that in just one week's time, this podcast will be available to listen to on the iPhone 13, where we'll be doing everything in our earthly power to drain that new improved battery life. So if you're a first time listener, please subscribe, leave a review. I'm Simon Gwynn, Campaign's technology and gaming editor, and this episode was produced by Lindsay Riley. Thanks very much, Lindsay. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you again next week.